Hey, Steve. Dan, welcome to the Dulcimer Geek Podcast, brought to you by Dulcimer, Dulcimer School. School. That's right. We, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's all right. That's enough advertising. That was a cool. That was like the old days of television and radio, right there. Except we need something that goes bong, 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 or something. Like that. Right. Hey, it's uh, July nineteenth. Is exactly seven days after we recorded the last podcast. That was a week ago. That was exactly one week ago. We were driving to Everett. It's the shortest, longest week of my life. What are we doing now? <laughs> we are headed home, kind of. We're almost to Indianapolis. Uh, you wanted to leave by nine. We got out at nine fifteen. That was pretty good. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Did- so he gets a bunch of ice, I guess, from the <laughs> ice machine in the hotel, and he's filling both coolers. That's how I was. Uh, I was. It wasn't rude. No, that, no, I was deliberately making more noise. You were doing than it on necessary, purpose. Necessary this morning, yeah, just to kind of move things along. Anyway, it was uh, it was good. We we had a good week. I had a good week. Lot so many interesting things happened this past week. Uh, it, it's. From a, just meeting cool people, seeing old friends again. I had uh, I got to hang out with Karen Alley's dad just a little bit, uh, Doctor Richard Alley, who's a scientist, a geologist who does ice cores, and got to have some cool talks about that. I got to hang out with Sam Rosetta and Doctor Richard Alley at the same time, and Nick Blanton, and that was all good stuff. Well, we could list a hundred names. Yeah, you know that's funny. Uh, I was thinking a while ago that we ought to get home and write some thank you notes. I was thinking the same thing. That's funny. Who do we need to thank? Well, we should thank our. Um, we don't have to. We don't have to name individuals uh, in general okay. for the podcast. But let's talk about from a a performer who's just gone. We both made money, right? Right. And so they created this event at which we made money, and they treated us welcomed so well. Us Absolutely and facilitated. Yeah. I would thank the ODPC, you know, the organization behind the Are event. Are you down with ODPC? <laughs> <laughs> I think, is that a song? <laughs> Something like that. And I, I would think, you know, uh, there's just a number of people that help me. I mean, I'm not one to send thank you cards, but I feel that Your gratitude. Mama raised and you I think I that. should, yeah, that's right. She sends cards. She, she sent me cards before. Well, your mom's nice. Get your mom to send thank you cards for you. No, that's terrible. I mean, you're not you gonna, could sign them with your little crayon and put your name right. on there. <laughs> I could get my mom to call people and thank them. That would be sweet. Hi, this is Steve's mom. I'd like to thank you. Say it for, like your mom would say it. Really? Yes, because that's fun. You do a good job. This is Nancy Seifert, Stephen Seifert's son. Mom. No, you know, she'd be cool on the phone. It's when we're at somewhere like a Perkins or a Denny's, you know, when we're all cutting up. That's that's the mom you're thinking of. Uh-huh. But she's pretty, she used to be an administrative assistant to a bunch of uh, lenders at a bank. You guys she, stayed at our house for the Chattanooga Dulcimer Festival, and it was very nice. A couple of days later, we got a, a nice thank you card from your mom. That clearly she had handmade because it was unique and beautiful. Yeah, she makes some really cool cards. That I like that. I remember that. See, that's stuck. So sending those thank you cards isn't like something that people forget about. I could buy those cards from my mom and then send them, you know, myself. But the kind of folks I think I'd, I'd want to thank are the the people that 
made sure we had water behind the stage that came around and said, hey, there's maybe a storm coming in. So we're, you know, do you have any ideas what you think ought to happen? Stephen Humphreys, um, he and his wife let me borrow a sign. They gave a couple bags to my customers. Uh, they let me borrow a pen. I brought a table and an extension cord for Mark Wade. Yeah, that's I a mean, lot. Of, yeah, but those folks we thank all the time. I'm just thinking about the people from the festival. They did a grand job. There was, I didn't see any drama. There wasn't any fighting or anything. It went really well, I think. And I'll tell you, we got there. I, I think we finished the podcast toward, I don't know, towards the last third of our trip. But when did we actually pull in? It was three thirty-four. It was after three thirty. Yeah. I think I got to bed at four thirty. No, you were three thirty. I was four because you you passed out real quickly. I think I got to bed at four and got up at seven. That's right. That's right. So that was a uh, full day. Yeah. But anyway, so did, tell me some uh, festival stories. How did you deal with? You're a big deal, Steve Seifert. I, not really. Just in my own house. Well, in this little house of what we're doing, and so people were. Probably constantly asking you questions like, I bet I bet you get asked, how many times did you get asked, what do you think about this one and a half fret thing? Right. Well, uh, <clears throat> I've got all these, I have all these responses, the automatic responses to different questions like that. I should probably write all these down into a frequently asked question list. Um... What are some of the questions? One and a half fret, should I get it or not? Uh, should I use a double melody string? These are the big ones, by the way. These are the very top ones. Um, is it really easier to use a single melody string? Here's a big one. Somebody will say, uh, I heard that it's a lot easier to start with DAA. That's a big question. Um, somebody will say, what, what dulcimer should I buy? You know? That's a tough one. Oh, that's a tough one because what I what I really I'd love to be able to just mention one like buy this. But the truth is there's a number of good builders. I'm pretty good friends with a bunch of them. So really I need to give them a list and the person didn't want a list of eight different dolls. They're not going to remember all that anyway. So how do you deflect that question? It's a dangerous question. I tell them if you want a list, I can Write down a number of builders that I trust and recommend. It's not the only builders I trust and recommend. I want to be clear about that. And also, I think it's best if you just look at what the better players have in their laps. You know? Just just say, rather, before you ask a performer, hey, what dulcimer should I get? Just say, just ask. What did you use in the concert last night? You know? Yeah, and that, I think that should raise a sufficient number of questions for someone to be able to make a good decision. And I, th- I think I said it that way on purpose because you're better at having... There's not the, the answer is there's not one right answer for that. I noticed that... Uh, did you play your McSpadden at this one? I did. And I noticed Sarah Morgan was playing a McSpadden. I have a folk craft that I like. Uh, well, I have a couple. 
I well, have a well, I couple get a- Jerry Rockwells I like. Yeah. No, I'm talking now, about here. I don't here. care what you're talking about. What my point is, is <laughs> wow. I, well, we're scared. I'm scared of offending my friends who are builders. I would not let you do that. I mean, not that I have any control over you, but where I was going with that was if you watched the show, you would have also noticed that Bing was playing a folk craft. If Aaron had been at this one, you would have seen Aaron playing a beady. Right. You know, if it, you Sarah see- Morgan had a folk craft and a McSpadden, I think. Did she? Oh, she played two, didn't she? So there are all kinds of people who had all kinds of different instruments. I do think that this is a valid point. If your ear is trained enough so that you notice the difference between the tone of those different instruments, you should maybe go for the one that you like the tone of. Hey, we're, we just passed exit 167, Kokomo, Indiana. Mm-hmm. That's cool and because Kokomo. my great aunt... Yeah played piano in a jazz band in Kokomo, Indiana. I think at the Eagles Club. <laughs> I think that's where she did it. That is cool. Do you want to stop and look for that club? I'd really really rather get on down to Indianapolis and let's stop at an REI and, ah. and see if we can find some cool some fanny packs. What is packs REA? REI. What is that? I don't know. What does that what stand, does that stand for? for? Recreational uh, Expeditions? International. No, that can't that be starts, it. No. But you want a fanny pack? I'll tell you where the fanny. It doesn't pack. look, you know, that my isn't my neighbors won't go. Hey, fanny pack? No. They've been making fun of your yes. 1989 fanny pack. Yes. But we should have got the fanny pack before ever. Like if I ever needed a fanny pack, I sure do need it at ever. If I ever needed a fanny pack, I sure do need one now. No, that's. That's so bad. <laughs> that was bad. But you that were was thinking, a good record, though. You were thinking the same thing it was. That was take six. Yeah. Yeah, those guys were really good. my favorite records of all time. Really good. I didn't like it later when they brought in keyboards and drums. I like their acapella stuff. Heck yeah. yeah. So the double melody and the DAA, think of this. This is, I guess I, I kind of fleshed some of this out this week. This idea that DAA is a lot easier so here's how I responded to that question this week. There are advantages and disadvantages to both tunings. But I don't think there's enough advantages or disadvantages to really make a big deal either way. And I tell people, hey, if you're around folks, what are they using? If you're going to be watching YouTube videos, what, what are you drawn to? What tunings are they using? If you're going to get books, what are the tunings in? It's There are a few things about DA that are easier. There's a few things about DAD that, that are easier for a beginner. If I was going to, if, if I came to you and said, hey, learning to play dulcimer, I'm going to be doing uh, at a uh, frontier settlement, you know, dressing in period clothing. Do you think it's really legit for me to use DAD if I'm playing a lot of songs from the late 1800s? I might... I'd feel that person out and then probably refer them to someone else. Like for, who? To answer that. Who would know b- that answer? No one from the 1800s is living. I don't know. I bet if they read Ralph Lee Smith's book, they'd tune DAA if they were going to be doing that. Get rid of the six and a half fret. Maybe um, find a way to contract yellow fever. <laughs> I don't know. 
I think that I this here's the interesting thing. DAD is not clearly the best choice for beginners. DAA is not clearly the best choice for beginners. That was my point was there are situations where one is better than the other. If yeah, if I was retiring right. the situation. And if I was retiring and moving to Florida and I was going to go is it called Sun City where all right. those and or villages or villages something. and we know that there's 20 clubs in that area. And I said, "Hey, I'm thinking about retiring. I know there's a lot of people who play dulcimer down there and I want to be able to fit right in with the groups." Is one tuning better than another? Right. And yeah, so you just ask a person, what do you want to do? But I, I like to make the point that human beings are resilient in general. We are actually, you know, we're fragile in some ways, but quite tough. We're tougher than we think we are. Of all the things we seem to be able to adapt to and all the challenges we meet, I really don't think DAD and DAA is your biggest problem. You know, pick one and roll with it for a while. But there are situations where there are right and wrong answers with that. Yeah, that's right. But in general. But if somebody... Um, so there was a fellow at the festival who had cut off three of the fingers of his fretting hand. And um, he seemed to be a decent strummer. And I just... I sat down and I told him all the cool things about noter-style playing, whether you're using a noter or your finger in the same fashion. And I I told him about my favorite noter players, and I told him, look, if I, was th if I just had one finger in the left hand, I really wouldn't feel like there wasn't enough for me. I mean, there's just so much cool music you oh, can yeah. do. And I mentioned DAA, and I... I I said, you know, this, but I said also, I said, look, there's like Randy Adams out in Nebraska, mm -hmm. how he used, he doesn't even have frets on his dulcimers. He regularly goes over to the middle and the bass string with the noter. And I've been doing that with a regular dulcimer. Human, here's the deal. Hey, wait, before you leave Randy Adams, anybody who's not familiar with him, look him up on YouTube. Yes. He's got some really cool videos. He's not playing like it's a slide. He's actually... It's really cool. Just listen. That's what you got to do. Randy Adams, right. look him up. Dulcimer, Randy Adams. Um, the biggest thing about DAA is most of your melody, definitely, is going to fit on the melody string entirely. And DAD, you'll sometimes have to go to the 2, 1, or open on the middle. That's... So, you... All your notes aren't on the melody string. Sometimes you got to go to three notes on the middle string. I say we uh, rise to that occasion. I mean, come on, people. <laughs> sure. I, I When I started asking this question, I, I wasn't trying to get you to dive too deep into what you think is better. I know. I got I'm excited. Just, I'm kind of wondering. It wears us out just a little bit to be at a booth for most of the day and to perform and to try to take every last second that we have to get with other people in practice because we all play with multiple musicians and that's all part of the fun. There's also an inflow of energy that you get from that same experience. Oh my goodness. I changed my set multiple times based on conversations that I was having with people. But but just to, on, on the hammer dulcimer side, there are situations where somebody, if someone asks me, you know, for instance, what instrument should I buy? 
I do what you said, and I try to learn more about them. Like, what is it you want to do with it? What's your goal? Right. You're wanting to play with a group. Are you wanting to play with your church? Are you wanting to, you know, play on the streets like a hippie? You know, have you got some kind of goal? Play on the streets <laughs> like a hippie. There's, well, there are different instruments that work for that, for different things. So, anyway, and, and then answer according to that. Hey, can we talk a little bit about last night's show? Not yet. No? Can you just mm. quickly... Does, I want to know me, because I, I just went to the largest hammer dulcimer event in the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. What's... I really wonder this. I wondered it all week. If I was to get a hammer dulcimer, you're going to ask me what am I want to do with it, probably. If I get one, what's the best one... F- for me to get and I don't mean a brand um, and what I want to do with it is I want to be able to sit in the jams and just play the melodies I don't want to do backup or any kind of fancy stuff I'd look for one that has a uh, for that specific purpose that has a, a relatively sharp attack and not necessarily long sustain one that's going to stand out just a little bit All right, and I'd, I'd of course look at players who I think do a good job in those jams and you can hear their instruments or the people who are tending to lead with those things because if it's a leader they've probably at some point had to go I've got to get an instrument that can be heard Uh, that might not be the instrument that would be great for everything else I want the smallest one I can get away with then choose the smallest one you can get away with what is that you mean like as far as twelve eleven? Yeah, goes? say that those funny numbers. Yeah, I think you're probably still going to want a, a fifteen sixteen, you know, one step above a twelve eleven, so you can get some range, and also with that you'll get a little more volume. It's going to be a little louder just because it's a little larger. And how much am I going to spend on this? You're going to spend if you want to get anything that I I would say. You need to be willing to spend around $800. Okay. But you could, you know, if you there were a bunch of great instruments at this festival used in the $4 to $500 range. I saw some that were it's they were huge instruments with great range for $500. Now, they weren't instruments that I personally would play, but they would be great for that thing and if uh, you asked me that at that festival, I would have taken you over to the used instruments and right. tried to find a good one. Or I would have taken you to about four different vendors that I could name, but I probably shouldn't. On auto harps, if you don't tune an auto harp for like many, many years, they say the pin blocks get all weird and they have to be fixed or something. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a minute? That's a good... And then we'll go back to what you brought up three minutes ago. This is a safe area. There was a vendor there, and I won't mention their name. One of the things he does at this particular festival is he has people who come back every year and he works on the felts and the keys in their instruments and he takes them apart and he fixes them. Yeah. From And he's busy from b- before the festival, the festival officially starts Wait, until the auto end. auto harps or dulcimers? Auto harps. Okay. He's doing what you said. He's, he's replacing that stuff. Now, there's one particular auto harp that a lot of the you know, professionals play and it's in the $3,000 range for that. This guy is trying to decide, because he's done this and he's built and rebuilt auto harps all the time, and he's trying to decide if he should start building a custom one himself. Right. But he's so busy doing this other thing. Oh. And then, and then I'll go ahead and say this brand name, 
the Oscar Schmidt company is what most people think of when they think of auto harps because they're like the king of the mass-produced instruments, but they're plastic keys and all kinds of things. But on a lot that. of players want the older Oscar Schmidts, and then they want them work overhauled or whatever. That's, and that's what this guy does. And they go through and put in wood keys, you know, and better felts and make all that stuff work better. And he's had an interesting time in his business. He said, oh, really, it, he fixes all he wants. He's not seeing many new auto harps being sold right now at the Oscar Schmidt level. He's seeing people say they want to buy this really expensive one and saving up for it. Uh-huh. I don't know. This whole folk world thing is we, we don't have the mass market appeal, you know? And so even a minute ago when you were asking me about prices and I said, you know, $800, I even hesitated saying that because that sounds like a lot of money. But then I think for a good instrument where somebody's one off making these things or maybe making five or even 10 at a time, and putting the time kind of work that goes into them, hammered dulcimers are inexpensive to get into the best ones, which is three to five thousand dollars. Well, that the used one. What I was wondering is if I get a used hammered dulcimer, the pen block shot or something. I've like never that. really seen that be an issue, except for vintage instruments. Okay, yeah. so you can buy if a used hammered dulcimer isn't completely warped or on the verge of exploding. You're, you know. I, I wouldn't buy an instrument from a builder. It hasn't built a lot of instruments, unless he was my uncle, you know, and I wanted it for sentimental reasons. Huh. Because uh, there's a lot of things that can go wrong with those things with all the tension across the strings, and you want people who can stand behind them. But you were, you were, this thing about 800 bucks, like sometimes somebody says, you know, I want to play what you have, what do I need to spend, you know, and I'll tell them. And they'll say, I, I really want something for like $100 less than that. And I always want to say, well, then do this. Save a dollar a day for 100 <laughs> days and buy this better one. You'll really, you'll, you'll be glad you did. Or even if you're buying a better used one. I, I think referring people to used instruments doesn't hurt dealers. I think it helps them. Because if somebody gets a pretty good instrument that's used, they're going to go to a new one. If they get a bad used instrument or even a bad new instrument, they're probably never going to play. Right. And I'll tell you what we want to do is we get if we get somebody playing, they actually become a player. That's good for everybody. That's good for everybody. That's right. That's why I think the used market doesn't hurt the, the builders, the luthiers. So you were saying it kind of... We get worn out at this one in particular, and I'll, what's different about this one is we, we are, I, I taught two one-hour classes, one on Thursday, one on Friday, I taught none on Saturday, performed Friday night, played on a couple sets, but pretty much was at my vendor booth all day, every day. Right, me too. And yeah, except for when I was teaching classes. Usually at a festival, it's just not... That's not an option even for the performer kind of workshop leader. So yeah. we end up, I often think, well, I'm going to get ready for my set. I want to learn a new tune. I'm going to practice the dobro. I'm, I, all plans. I do is talk. <laughs> and I enjoy that, and it wears me out. I, it's nothing wrong with a good hard day's work. No. Can I talk a little bit about that and how that applies to the show for the night because i think that matters yeah so 
I'm never really sure exactly what I want to do because you kind of want to find out what everybody else is doing and then who's going to be there and who you're going to get to play with. And Michael Opp was there this year, and I'm like, Michael, uh, he's a uh, an amazing hurdy-gurdy player. And look Ray, him up if you haven't heard him. I actually posted a video of his playing on my Facebook page last I did, night. I did some too from the uh, from his set with Sarah Morgan. Uh, you, the one that you posted, I noticed, was from, uh, was that at the Squirrel's Nest? Right. That was really cool. Everybody had crazy light-up hair. There were remote controls, controlling disco lights, lights overall. <laughs> what time did you record that? Wow. That was the best jam experience of my life, almost. And I was only there maybe 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. I got to jam with them before the festival started, but I went to bed earlier than you did. Yeah, I was, I was out there a little later. It was probably after one or so when you did that, I bet. So you, there's a lot of people that you want to connect with. Yeah, and so for, I always kind of want to wait and see who we can put together to make good shows and stuff. And then you have people coming and talking to you and, and tell you things that move you a bit emotionally. Oh, and, yeah. and I had two or three people come up and say, you know that, that uh, medley that you play with I'll Fly Away and Ode to Joy, that's the... I just love that. I just, I really hope you'll play that this year. And I had that happen several times. And so you're thinking, okay, I'm kind of tired of playing that. But, you know, the reason you do it, one of the reasons you do it is because it makes people happy and it's good to bring people joy. And so I had sort of decided to put that back in the set, maybe do it towards the end. And then uh, Rick Thumb asked me to play with him, which I was happy to do, and some more people. And I went out and practiced with Rick and found out Rick was doing pretty much the same thing. The same songs? Yeah. Okay. Not the exact same songs, but some of that. And I was like, okay, so I'm not going to do that. And so I had to change that then. And then when we got to the stage, two things happened. This is behind the stage getting ready for the show. Not only did Rick do the same things, Jess Dickinson's Jess Dickinson also played some of the same songs. Yeah. And by then I'm like, there's no way. They don't need any more I'll Fly Aways you know, here. They need something else. And I also, and I'm sure Rick won't mind me saying this, Rick was backstage, and uh, Pam Bowman, who's a great player, by the way, she was the one the other night when you said, hey, there's this blonde uh, woman yeah. over there that was playing, and she's doing really cool stuff in the band. But I was great. on the other side of a fence, and my, yeah. I, I, I don't have glasses. Yeah, I, need I know. Them. But anyway, but that was Pam that Bowman. That yeah. awesome. They sounded so good. She sounded great. But she also, she played a song that Rick was going to play on his set. And Rick's listening to it going, man. Uh, okay. You know, and so that kind of stuff happens back there all the and time. that's healthy for us. Yeah. So, you know, it's not going to phase Rick. You either change. You either say, I'm going to play something else, or you don't play it's it. It's one good reason to to listen to the whole concert before you go <laughs> on. But the problem is we're always practicing and or playing. Or playing with other stuff. people or yeah. getting practicing to play with other people. And so my set ended up being I didn't do any of those and... I think every song in it was original in my set, except for we ended with, we did an encore with uh, Gracie, who's a 14-year-old student who started playing, she's been in the festival for quite a few years, who's starting to kind of branch out with what she's doing with the Hammer Dulcimer. And earlier in the day, I had accompanied her during her, it was like during the open mic performance, and she did Wipeout and a lot of us thought that was pretty cool, so we wanted to sort of bring her back and make that be the finish. And we finished it with everybody who was still back there coming up on stage and joining her. That's a good, weird way to end a Dulcimer Festival. Yeah, it was a cool ending. It was fun, and, and good for you, Gracie, if you happen to be listening. But anyway, 
I don't know. It kind of all works out in the show. It, every time you do a performance, it takes on a different character. And I think we could talk about this for a bit. Uh, Dale Dale Palachek and uh, Jim Rathman were the MCs, you know, for the show, or mainly Dale. And even even talking to them, we're like, look, we want to make this happen and happen really fast. And kind of everybody has to know what's going on. And and you're trying to coordinate some magic, you're, yeah, which is not easy. It's almost impossible. Well, but pause. The busier you are all day, the less opportunities you have to kind of set the the soil That's and right. the seeds for magic to happen later. But this one, you actually, I don't know. There's there's a little more opportunity to practice at this one than I, some festivals I for me. I was. I'm not. Usually, somebody's got me teaching like all day. There's just nowhere, no way for me to do anything. If I didn't stay in my booth and work the booth, we wouldn't have gotten new dulcimer right. players, new subscriptions, That's and dulcimer right. school things. I was. I'm not gonna lie. I was frustrated before the show because I felt like I had had zero time. I had worked on you know some other people that I was playing with. I had participated in their rehearsals. And didn't get a time for my own. And, and you're scheduled to be the last act of the final right. concert. You're expected to surprise everybody with something. Mm-hmm. So that was, I mean, I had a good time. And I think the show came off and heard such nice things after it was over with. But Dale and everything, where were you going with that? Well, I mean, just that it, even when I t- told Dale, hey, we're thinking about doing this thing, Dale was like, ah, I don't mean, you know, I'm not the music police, but... No one's supposed to go over. Yeah, because what were you doing? <laughs> you were you were told to do what? Well, I wasn't told to do anything. I wasn't. You know, there's nobody who says what you have to do. But you were supposed to work on some kind of finale or something. I think one of the reasons that I've been the last person for the for a few times at this show is because I always bring in a lot of people to play, and so it's kind of it ends up being a lot of people on stage. I like to share and play with other people, and I sort of like some of the stuff being very unrehearsed so it's organic feeling you know and that's all uh that's all well and good and it seems like a great idea but you have to be careful that you i'm going to use the word lowest common denominator here and by that i mean you have to be careful that you don't try to bring so many people in that you have to oversimplify what your performance is going to be right and the, there's a fine line there. There's a fine line there, yeah. And so I would rather it be something. I think Wipeout turned to be a, out to be a good one because anyone can figure out Wipeout even if they've never played it in just a couple of minutes. It's the blues, really. Yeah, just figure it out right on the spot and have something happen where we're all looking at each other and figuring it out. So that was a good time. Anyway, but at first, you know, Dale wasn't sure that that was even cool with the rules because it was a different MC, I think, every night or something, too. And he was like, no, nobody's supposed to do any extra. And so there was a little moment of tension there. And then Dale got that figured out. I don't know. I think that's one of the reasons I think he deserves a thank you note. Because all these people work together to make something. And we're talking about this like it's a, or I am maybe, like it's a big deal. It kind of goes back to what you said earlier. Our lives are, there's way more important. What was the quote you said when somebody asked about the one and a half fret in your class? And you told them about this makes me sound a little bit extremist. You I, are a little extremist. All right, here, I'll try to reproduce it. Hey, folks, if somebody's got some advice 
or they're sharing an opinion about double melody strings versus single, DAA versus DAD, one and a half versus no one and a half. Um, if they're just sharing some information with you, giving, giving you a little personal opinion, that's great. But if somebody's going to lean heavy on you, like there's some kind of moral imperative with going one way or the other, I know some of you are dealing with spouses who are sick or are dying. You got children, you got grandchildren, health issues, money issues, things you're excited about, things you're afraid of, all the big stuff in life. Do you really want to add a one and a half fret versus no one and a half <laughs> fret to that list of stuff to worry about? Right. Come on. That's right. That was my best um, impersonation of myself. Impersonation of you. Well, and that's sort of what I was thinking last night. I was going, man, you're kind of uptight for. You're going to go on stage with your friends and play Wipeout for a bunch of other people that are also your friends, you know. Uh, you got to remember to have a good time. But we do. There is a little bit of pressure, you feel, right? I mean, don't you want to do a good job on your set? Yeah, well, I know when I... When an audience is surprised, even by the littlest, tiniest new something, whether it's a song or a technique anything it doesn't have to be a lot and it doesn't have to be big they like to have a little bit of a surprise somewhere in there when i know i don't have a surprise to lay on them i it makes me anxious and sometimes i try to come up with something and sometimes i resign to the fact that all right i haven't been playing enough at home um i haven't been working on new stuff and it'd be great to go out there and lay something new on everybody, but I don't have it. So go out there and play your heart out and don't worry about it, you know. But you go through all that inner, in, inner talk, you know, in your head. It's... We... Here... It's, it's a weird thing. I play because I love the zone I get in when I'm playing. I also like to get attention to some extent, or I wouldn't be up on a stage... I like to share this stuff. I like to get people excited who in turn get me excited. And it's fun. That's it. You know, I like roller coasters too. They're fun. Um, <laughs> but this, we've both been in situations. That's, that's a good, wait, that's a good example. Because it's very roller coaster like. There's, you know, you're going to, you're not going to, um, you could die on a roller coaster, but it very rarely happens. No, but yeah, but you could uh, mess, you could put a crick in your neck or whatever. Yeah. Or you could forget your strap yourself in properly and have a, have a bigger fright. And I think that's a good example of what it's like. It's maybe somewhere between a roller coaster and a tilt a whirl. <laughs> Once it gets going. And then every now and then, you know, when you're, you get the tilt a whirl going and everybody's all together trying to make the thing just like spin around really fast and you feel that happen on stage that's cool and i can think specifically of a few moments during set last night's performance where that happened uh and those were good times you know and you think ah this is going to be good see as performers we listen to the audience's reaction to different things whether it's from us or other performers it's every once in a while you hear an audience just go crazy and you start thinking, I wonder what got them excited there. Do you can can you get inside that? What's that? Well, I can wonder. No, no. I mean, can you tell me? I think you and I have talked about this before, and it's probably gonna be hard to do on a podcast. But I, I mean, I know a few I, things that do this. Well, so you're gonna talk about uh, mechanical ways of making this happen. Uh, a Is few simple easy? things that I've seen over and over and over and over. All right. All right, check this out. 
Sometimes you get a performer who gets technically they really come up with yeah. something that's astounding. And it's it's almost you can tell they've kind of framed it so that it's the peak of the whole performance is this technical cool thing. Oh, in 10 miles, turn right. We got 10 miles before turn. So you see him lay this really amazing thing on the crowd, and then I'm often surprised the crowd doesn't react to it. Okay, so that's half of this. The other half, sometimes a performer takes something that's technically simple, musically, it might be one note repeated over and over. Mm -hmm. And... So here's an example. They'll start quiet, get louder and louder and louder. We have a spot in Enamored at the end of that song we did. Yeah. Where all I'm doing is dum to dum to dum 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 dum to dum to dum. And Mark's building crowds react to that, but they won't react so much to something that's actually technically more impressive. They like the build. There's some emotional thing, and once that build happens and you don't screw it up, you let it find its completion, they react to that. And um, I always think, actually, Wipeout's funny because that's always the example I think of, the drum solo on Wipeout. It's not really even any good. It's, n- it's neat. Well, as a kid, <laughs> it was one of my favorite things in oh, any it song. was me too, yeah. Uh, but it's not technically hard to do. It's... There's not a lot of variety going <laughs> no, on there. it's really simple. Audiences like a repetitive element, often starting quiet, and it gets louder, it gets louder, it builds to a peak, and then you burst into the next part of the song. Yeah, right, because every time at the end of the drum solo, it goes, daka, 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 right. you know, and you want to shake your head. And every time we did that last night, it got a little bit louder. So that was fun. And another thing that always seems to be interesting if I, and this has only happened two, three times tops, I'm playing a, f- a fast song and I'm just going crazy with it. A string breaks and I try not to drop a beat at all. And I know that I'm going to get a bigger crowd reaction when I finish this tune as long as I keep going. And I actually just pour it on. When that string breaks, I say to myself, go all out. Because the fact that the string broke is going to surprise people, especially if they've noticed. And um, why is that so impressive? I guess it's almost like your tool just broke. You shouldn't be able to still do it. So there's two things I can think of immediately that Mm. get a crowd response. I think there's another aspect of it. And it has to do with how you feel. Yeah. And you know what I think we should do now? Uh, we're almost to this REI. I think we should pause. Wait, 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 wait. We, we got 15 miles. Before we get to the REI? Yeah. Okay. That's I'll, 21 minutes. Well, 6.7 we, miles. Well, we could talk a little, little longer. To then. our next turn, we're turning right on to Keystone Parkway. To Keystone Parkway. We, we're traveling if you're you know, like just picking up this podcast, so. We want to be safe, but I mean Dan is driving the car with his feet. But oh, I'm not. I know we're totally safe. The uh, I'm not into woo, but there's something about the way you feel 
that seems to be, and this might just be, again, here we go with confirmation bias. The way the performer feels. The way the performer feels that when you're playing and all of a sudden you feel like, wow, this is good. You're, the, in, your, you're in bliss. A you're in of your bliss. zone and you just feel good and you know that the audience is going to respond. You're confidently executing. You're having a blast and you kind of got into the zone. You got lost in the music a little bit. Yeah. And see, I think the audience is responding to a lot of stuff that they're seeing happen and hearing happen right then. Right. And it has to do with your mental state at that point. I think they react to that honest, deep engagement. Um, I'd, so how do you set that up? Well, before I... Let me set this up. <laughs> It's good to get on stage before you're ready to be on stage. It's what makes you ready to be on stage. So I'm all for somebody getting up there and kind of nervously and awkwardly, you know, learning what it's all about. Um, but from an audience perspective, and this is just life, it makes me nervous to see somebody sitting up there feeling nervous. That's right. I take on that nervousness. Um, if I see somebody up there who is pretending to be happy, um, that doesn't come off as happy. Um, if I see somebody up there that looks bored, I get bored. You know, if I see somebody up there that is absolutely, completely embracing the art of the moment, the passion, I start to feel that same thing. The art of the moment. Does that does that phrase have any particular meaning to you? Art. Oh, yeah, I mean, is that something? Moment. That <laughs> AOTM. AOTM, does that mean something to you? Or I don't that, think so. Did you just like make up that phrase right now because I like it? Here's the deal you got to build to a peak. If something, if something uh, interrupts the build, you, uh, the audience seems to, it, it dissipates, the energy dissipates. That's all. You know, maybe, can we talk just a little bit about these? We've done this on other podcasts where we talked about the length of sets and what you get. This particular one, you get 15 minutes. 15 minutes is close to being not enough time. Yeah. But it is enough time. 15 minutes is really the least I want to deal with. Yeah. 15 minutes starts to be long enough to put a show together. So what are you thinking about? 15 minutes. You got What do you 15, mean? I got 15 minutes. You got 15 and you want people to want to buy your stuff. All right, well, this is ideally it. Number one, you have a new CD and a new book. You got 15 minutes. I'm, I'm reminding myself to feel free enough to just talk free association. Hopefully I'll say something funny. But I don't want to talk my whole set away. Um, I definitely want to do an old favorite. Um, I want to start off with something that's going to just kick it. I always think of you giving some advice where somebody suggested that you don't just sit there and talk before your first number. Just start playing. You want, you want to be visually interesting. What I really want to do is make sure that one of my pieces in that 15 minutes, let's say you do four pieces... One of them, I'd really like everybody to be like, that was cool. That I, that was a surprise, you know. But I don't have that a lot lately. I want to get back into that. So what are you thinking? Well, I'm going to go off of one thing that you said uh, earlier before we started recording the podcast, that we need to be more comfortable with 
with silence. So in that, you know, when the MCs announced you, <laughs> we could have some conversations about that too. That uh, maybe it's awkward, or maybe they're they say, and now Steve Seifert, but Steve Seifert's not actually ready, right? Yeah. It's okay to just stand there for a second until everything is done and ready. Oh yeah. And not feel that you have to start talking. Or it's kind of good for MCs. I'm speaking directly to you, for you to be really comfortable with there being that silence as well. The silence. Your brain is screaming at you. Do something. Do something. Do something. If you're the you person, you feel like an hour has gone by, but really, you need to remind yourself, hey, there's nothing wrong with sitting here for ten seconds. You know, in silence, even. Right. Listen, what about, we're, we're almost to REI here. We are 3.8 miles from the destination. Let's, uh, let's, let's stop and we can pick this up when we get back on the interstate. Are you serious? Yeah. I well, we're know. already at 46 and a half minutes. Well, I don't think, why, why does that clock matter for this? Because people have lives and 45 minutes has been calculated to be the perfect amount of time because it's under an hour, they can listen to it going You're somewhere. So it's making not this over up an right hour now. where it's going to screw up the show that comes on at the top of the hour. No one has calculated that to be the perfect amount of time. It just happens to be the time that I guess we're going to end now, which is fine. I don't. We don't have to end now. All right, but we're we're going in REI because we want to find the cool. You want a panty pack? Not a panty pack. A, a fanny pa- pack. A panty. A panty. <laughs> a fanny pack. Panty flack. <laughs> All right. Hey. I don't know if we're going to start this up or not, so... You don't know. This is the thing. Geek out. You never know. You never know.